Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs>
broadcasting live to billions of people. Camels on the streets tracking who we meet and call this liberty. Uh, 
any of those events, and that is a much more likely scenario than the end of the world uh, kind of thing, the absolute uh, complete lawlessness and stuff like that. And that is what you should be thinking about preparing for, because regardless, uh, I I certainly don't have any insight for information on this, that... uh, that something specific is going to happen, <clears throat> the world is going to end, uh, the 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 U.S. is going to crumble, you know, whatever. I don't have any specific information on that, but I don't need it. I can, I just know for a fact that uh, that there are going to be things that are going to happen on a fairly regular basis that you're going to need to prepare for, and. Uh, I know that I mention this a lot on the show, but that is one of the reasons I mention it is because I want to make sure that you are remembering that you're that you're keeping this up close to the top of your list uh, to be maintaining your prep and working on your prep uh, so that you can meet uh, at least some of these minimal things that are uh, that are more likely to happen. I think if more people thought of it. Uh, if more people chopped off the prep thing, you know, hurricanes and tornadoes and stuff like that, I think a lot more people would actually get involved in prepping because uh, because that's a fairly easy thing to visualize and prepare for and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, it's just that when people start uh, thinking about uh, the the end of the world scenarios that they they give up on trying to prepare for it, and they just figure they're going to be uh, they're going to be toast anyway. They don't want to think about it, and they don't want to prepare for it because preparing for it means you have to think about it. You have to consider what's going on, and you'll have to start getting ready for it. <clears throat> well, things that you can do to prepare for the upcoming events, and as far as uh, getting uh, safe drinking water, the five tenets of the stuff alliance, getting safe drinking water, uh, food, uh, security, energy, and shelter. And uh, we'll jump back to, we'll jump back to the, uh, the security thing. And by that I'm talking, I'll be talking about, uh, Make sure that you have training uh, of some type to provide for the uh, for your own self-defense and for the defense of your your loved ones. Right? Means you have to have some type of some type of training, whether it is how to spray a can of mace, uh, down to uh, how to press uh, how to punch in the key codes and and press the buttons so you can send off the uh, 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 the MERVs, you know, to defend the country. You have to have some kind of training, right? And uh, and you need to make sure that you're getting it. Uh, there's a very common fallacy, which is uh, if something happens, well, then, by gosh, uh, I'm going to rise to the occasion, and uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to meet the challenge and uh, overcome it and be successful. And this is uh, very much a fallacy, because when something happens, uh, very seldom does anyone ever 
rise to the occasion. Inevitably, everyone sinks to the lowest level of their training. Whatever your level of training is, that is what you can expect to be functioning on in the event something happens. So what is your level of training? Do you have any? Do you have any plans to get any? Uh, You've heard me talking about the stuff that we do at Battle Road on a regular occasion. And you've certainly heard me talk about uh, the uh, Battle Road uh, Zombie Biathlon Run and Gun. And uh, we've got, uh, uh, there are only three, uh, there are only three organizations that do anything at all like the the zombie biathlon run a gun that uh that Battle Road does. There's three uh uh firearms biathlon groups and I, I've done quite a bit of searching for them. And uh, there's only three that I know of. That is the uh the original event which started several years ago, uh, out in West Texas at Smokey Briggs running gun in the sun out in West Texas. Uh, there's us, the Battle Road uh, uh, Zombie Destruction Biathlon. And then there's the Pawnee uh, uh, Running Gun in Oklahoma. And I got, uh, last week you guys heard Daniel Hinch. He came on the radio and we talked for quite a while. But not just about the run gun, but about a lot of other things too. And uh, I've got, uh, with us tonight, I've got Al Cockrell, who is uh, the uh, one of the founders of the uh, Pawnee running gun. I got him on the line, and he's going to give us uh, another uh, reminder about the upcoming event, and we'll talk to him about what he what the guys have going on. Hey, Al, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on, man? You hit. <laughs> this is what I'm this doing. Is it, huh? what I do on Thursday nights, man. Yeah, this is what right. this is what Sam D Sam D and I do every Thursday night. <laughs> well, well thanks great. for, uh, for calling in. the show last week. Oh, you're welcome. I'm well, glad you're having me on here. Well, I, I appreciate you uh, calling into the show. Last week, Daniel came on, and uh, he tried to give a quick, uh, uh, you know, quick uh, information bit about the uh, the Pawnee event and uh, and take off running, but he, and he almost made it, but not quite. He got that treble hook in the back of his neck before he left, and. Uh, uh, and so uh, I kept him on the I kept him on the show with me for about an hour and a half, and we talked about a bunch of stuff, uh, a lot of current events and stuff like that. Uh, but he did he did give us some info about the uh, some basic info about the Pawnee Run Gun. Give us your version of uh, uh, about it, how it got started, uh, what the event consists of, the dates and everything else, all the info about it, if you would. Well, cool. Well, I can tell you how I got started was uh, I ran into your partner, Mark, uh, at an uh, apple seed shooting down in Shreveport. And uh, he, he felt like I was a like-minded, uh, semi-challenged uh, person that might want to do something like Pecos. So I ended up going to Pecos. And, uh, man, I just thought that was great and wanted to do a similar event in Oklahoma. And my folks have some land down around Henrietta, which is about an hour south of Tulsa. And we did a little informal running gun down there, and everybody thought that was great. And uh, then we did another one the next year, and then had Daniel and uh, and a few more people, and uh, we we thought that was even better. And uh, we did another one last July in uh, actually out in Thunderbird, 
Oklahoma, and it was a little bit smaller. We didn't have quite the space, and uh, somehow or another, uh, we got hooked up. Uh, somebody that Daniel knew got us hooked up with the uh, uh, fellow that owns the land out here at Pawnee, and his name is John McAllister, and he's just a, an awesome host, just a really nice guy. They've got a lot of land out there. They've got some land that's uh, separated by some county road, and all the county officials down there are hip to it, and they come out and watch and think it's great. And uh, he got one of his neighbors into it. So we've got a whole bunch of uh, land, which is kind of hard to do in eastern Oklahoma. And we're, we're really kind of in central Oklahoma by the time you get out there. But uh, <clears throat> you can uh, you can stretch out. We're, we're running about a 10K. We've got a, a 5K and a 10K option uh, for people who are not, you know, they just want to kind of get their toes in the water a little bit, not sure they want to go all out and do the 10K, which is about, you're looking at about three and a half miles and about seven miles is uh, is what the two courses are going to be. Uh, there's going to be six shooting stations, uh, seven if you do the 10K, which is actually going to be a rescue station. You're going to go down and have to drag a, a life-size, life-weight dummy in, in, in kind of a rescue-type deal, as, and as well as using uh, both your firearms. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, similar to Pecos. We're going to feed you, give you a T-shirt and a whole bit after you sign up. And, uh, you know, if people want to look at the uh, site, forget everything I say, it's at OK Run and Done runninggun.com and it's just okay r-u-n-n-g-u-n.com what is the uh what is the uh the stage where you're dragging something yeah for the folks that do the uh 10k what the, the way we've kind of got the course set up is uh there's two two sections of land and part of the firing course is going to be on the northern section. Part of it's going to be on the uh, southern section, and they're connected by some county road that that is cool. You know that we we run up and down that, and uh, we're going to start off the five Kers on the southern section, and they're going to have three shooting stages there, and then they're just going to come up the road and they're going to finish the shooting stages on the north end. For the guys that really want to hit it hard, they're going to start on the north end and uh, take in a bunch of that uh, county road and then do three stages, which is going to be a VTAC board. I'll, I'll just go through the stages if you, if you don't care. Um, yeah, go ahead. We'll hit, the v, we'll hit the VTAC board, which if you don't know what that is, it's a it's an odd-shaped board with a bunch of different shapes of holes cut in it, and you have to fire through these holes and hit a target that's going to be out there about 125 yards away. And the, the way that the holes are situated, you're not really able to lean and get a nice rest or anything like that. You really have to... Uh, muscle your rifle a little bit and kind of shoot in some awkward positions. Uh, from that stage, you'll move on to a, a pretty rapid-fire uh, stage by the pond. And I think, I, I can't remember the exact number of hits, but we're going to require a whole lot of pistol hits on there. There's going to be about eight uh, stationary targets to have five hits each, and then uh, and then maybe a couple of smaller targets on that um, around and under some obstacle that you may have to, may have to hit with a rifle or pistol, your, your choice on that one. And then you'll run a little bit farther, and uh, you'll encounter the uh, rifleman's quarter mile stage. There'll be a 500-yard full-size silhouette that uh, you're going to have to bang that sucker three times before you can move on to the next stage. Or if you time out, any of these stages, if you if you take longer than four minutes, you just time out, you get a zero, and you move on to the next stage, and uh, your your score is going to be averaged, you know, between you know how much you get on all those stages. But uh, so if you're running a 5K, you'll hit that that 500-yard. Uh, a full-size silhouette, and then you'll take off onto the uh, onto the next section to uh, fire on the north section of the range. And uh, if you're going to do the bonus, the 10K, you're going to have to uh, 
to take a little bit different route, and it's going to be up some hills and through the woods, and uh, then you're going to encounter the rescue stage where there'll be a full-size dummy you're going to have to drag about 30 or 40 feet, uh, engage a couple of targets with your pistol and a couple of targets with your rifle, uh, secure that dummy where he's safe, and then continue on uh, through a little bit of rougher country and then hit the road up to the northern stage. For both runners of the 5K and the 10K, when they encounter the north section of land, uh, they will encounter a, a deuce-and-a-half truck. And at that truck, there's going to be a bunch of ammo cans. There will be targets uh, that you have to engage from around each end of the truck uh, with your pistol, and you'll have to engage uh, targets from the bed of the truck with your rifle. Uh, there's not really going to be a good opportunity for a rest there either. It's going to be squatting or sitting type deal out of that to move some, some rather heavy ammo cans. From there, you'll move on to another stage where you might have to crawl under a little bit of barbed wire, some obstacle-type things, and uh, engage some targets with your rifles from a rather awkward position. Uh, the last stage is up on the burial mound, which is actually a real Indian burial mound. It's a big hill, and uh, you'll, uh, you'll climb to the top of that, and then you'll start engaging a couple of silhouettes that are going to start out, I think, about 250 yards is the way we shot them. Uh, last year, and then you'll you'll advance forward about 30 or 40 yards. Uh, have to hit the gongs again, advance again, and hit the gongs. And you'll have to hit those uh, two times at each stop, and that'd be for a total of eight hits. So you're you're moving and shooting through the whole thing. From there, you'll just you'll make a big curve out through the woods and uh, and come out back at the finish line where uh, where you'll be greeted with some uh, hopefully some shade and uh, chili dogs. <laughs> Well, it sounds good, man. You know, we uh, I've been working on the, uh, since we began, you know, I built a, uh, a drag dummy for us to drag. <laughs> but I've just been working, trying to figure out a place to to put it on our course and a way to make it to make it work right. I'm interested in seeing how you guys do it. I'll be interested to, to see that section of the run. Uh, we've got... Uh, one of our stages is kind of like that. I'm is uh, with the idea that that normally, I mean, if you're if you have nothing in your hands and uh, you have to start making some shots, so that's great. But normally, because you have hands, uh, you usually got stuff in them, and usually, yep. you know, you've got something to do with one of your hands, or uh, you know, there is. Uh, there's plenty of reasons for you not to uh, not to be able to use both your hands. So we've got the uh, the one stage where you're having to uh, to shoot uh, with your weak hand, and you're gonna have to, you have to go back and forth from your strong hand to your weak hand, and you mm-hmm. have to carry. Uh, we got a I've got a five gallon plastic water can. I'm gonna have like two or three gallons of water in it. I'm not gonna make folks try to carry the whole 40-gallon, I mean, 40-pound thing, but uh, we'll have a couple of gallons of water, and they'll have to shoot while they have that, while they're carrying that with them, because wow. that's, a, you know, it's a fairly realistic, uh, you know, possibility. I'm just, uh, we, we had just, uh, we started discussing how to get the folks, how to have them dragging uh, our drag dummy and make and still make a safe uh, you know presentation make a safe shot stuff like that so we're still working on that like I said I'll be I'll be uh, 
excited to see that. The ammo can, the deuce and a half ammo can uh, scenario sounds like a really good one too because uh, because it's like, that's like a very real, very likely type situation, you know. So that sounds really good. And the 500 uh, the 500 yard uh, shot that uh, that is a really good one. Did you guys have a 500 uh, yard shot this, at the last event? I... We did. We we've got uh, we've got a great place for that. There's actually a uh, opening <clears throat> where we're making the 500 yard shot is actually an opening through some woods. That's a right away for a, a, a gas pipeline. And it uh, it encompasses a, a pretty good downhill slope. It hits a creek and it comes back up. And uh, we glass that at right at 500 yards over to where we can put the uh, target stand. And uh, we used a, a light target indicator last year. We we bought that for the January shoot uh, just to try it out. We weren't sure how it was going to work because it's so hard to hear hits, you know, on steel right. at that distance, especially if there's any wind. And, uh, man, it worked really good. You got a totally positive ID. Every time you hit that steel, it would make that light flash. And, I mean, anybody could see it. It was it was really a, a good setup. Well, that sounds really good. We were looking at that, too. And, uh, and of course, Mark uh, is always trying to, uh, you know, do things uh, uh, frugally. And uh, he sent me some uh, some plans and some directions on how to build one and uh we're still looking at that because like you said uh it's hard to if the wind is right uh, or rather wrong if the wind is wrong and uh you have somebody shooting especially if they're shooting with uh uh with a uh, 556 or something like that it's it's hard to get that sound all the way back to you and you may right. or you may not be able to see the impact you know we had spotters on glass making sure that they were glued to the targets uh this last time but uh you know those guys can blink uh you know i think that uh, the light system may be pretty good remember what you guys ended up paying for it yeah i, I can tell you it was like 139 and uh the way i got turned on to it is, is i worked with a really cool engineer out there that uh he did a lot of three-gun shoots and his wife is actually a pretty pretty well known three gunner around, and uh, he he kind of got us hooked up on some of this target stuff, and uh, it's a made in the USA deal, and it just works slicker than it's not, and it was it was well under two hundred dollars. Yeah, it was yeah. worth every penny. Yeah, that's something we'll definitely uh, we definitely want to look at. I'm working now on uh, building more building more obstacles uh, along the way. I've got uh, the one I'm working on now is a uh, one of the monkey bar sets. And it's just a short one. I don't I don't expect people to uh, for everybody to be able to do like the full length military run. I don't even remember how much that was. You remember, it's like uh, I think that was like a five meter uh, distance or something. The ones you had to do in in basic. This was only going to have like uh, I think either four or five handholds and. Uh, and you'll start off, you know, just a few feet above the ground, and uh, you'll go across the the handholds. And if you fall, it's only like it's just like a uh, like an ankle deep mud puddle, you know, nothing to uh, nothing to give you a bunch of grief. But I'm working on uh, on adding more obstacles in to the course. Uh, some stuff, and some of the stuff is just stuff that you would see 
uh, like if you were if you were going cross country anywhere, uh, things like uh, uh, regular barbed wire fences. I'm gonna put in a couple of sections where you've got to get uh, over or under the barbed wire fence because that's that's gonna be a very common thing for you to have to do, and uh, you need to learn how to do it. And then uh, uh, the same thing with gates, you know, how to climb over, a, crawl under a locked gate, stuff like that. And uh, and then I think that we're adding one more shooting station. But I would like to add in, uh, eventually at some point, if it keeps going well, I'd like to add in some stuff, uh, uh, you know, some uh, some stuff like uh, uh, getting folks to put on a uh, compression bandage correctly, you know, on a dummy or something like that. I think something like that would be a good add-in. You know, for, yeah, uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I had that suggestion. You know, after we did our we did our run in January, I had one of the ROs because we kind of had a little AAR. You know, about what could go better, what should we change, what should we do, and that was suggested as well. The the only thing you know that that I was kind of concerned about, you know, when you start running, you know, seventy five or eighty people through that thing, is you, you kind of start to get a line built up. And, that's it. You know, that's the that's big, the that's the main problem drag, trying you know. to figure out how to how to do something like that is right. that how to keep from getting bottlenecks, you know? You know. And something mm-hmm. like like putting on a bandage is one of those things that it could very well I could very well do it. I mean theoretically yeah. you should be able to pop that, get that bandage on, get it tied and uh, you know, in three minutes. You know, no you different know, than one, a regular course. But that's just one in thing theory. you might think about you know? though is you could you could start that and make that your very first thing, you know. You got to tie the bandage right. before you take off a run, and you got to fix your buddy, and that's and that's when you that's when you start your time. Bam, you're the next runner, and uh, you can do it like that. But and and I'm sure this has been said before, but I, I really want people to understand. You know, there's going to be folks out there that are you know hardheads like me and Mark that are going to go out there and run as hard as they can, and and probably die of a heat stroke one of these days. But but I don't want to discourage people that think, well, I'm not really in that good of shape. I don't know if I can run you know, five miles, or I don't know if I can haul all my gear. Man, most people walk this thing. And the whole right. purpose of it, is it, it's not really to come out and see who's the fastest, because some guys will run it with tennis shoes and shorts on it, you know, and, of course, I'm going to run it combat boots and PDUs like I always do. But, um, you know, everybody's got their own uh, way of, of working this thing, whether it's uh, I'm going to grab the gear that I'm going to run out the house with, then that's kind of the way I look at it. You know, how do I dress every day? You know, what am I going to grab if, if, if things really do go south? So I try to make that realistic. Some guys, they want to run it as fast as they can, so they run their lightest gear that they can, and that's cool too. But the whole thing is to learn uh, how effective you are with your equipment and how effective you are as a person. You know, if if you can shoot, you know, 750 yards off of a bench, but you can't walk, 500 yards without stopping to take a break that's not going to do you a whole lot of good you know we we just want to make people aware of what their capabilities are what their limitations are and it might motivate them to uh, become a little bit better in any of those weak spots right and i've seen the same thing with us and i thought it'd take us too is uh like you said you've got the folks that uh that whenever they uh, when they get lined up for the for the race you look at them and and they're in their uh, their short pants, their running shoes. Uh, they got no water. They only have. And they're really they're really good at what they do. I'm not I'm not I'm not taking anything away from them. 
because there, if the course is uh, uh, 55 pistol and 60 rifle, then that's what they carry with them. And mm-hmm. you know they're they are they're good shots. They're good at it. They don't waste ammo. They make all their shots. But uh, whenever I you know we ran the the Pecos event, uh, Mark and I did several times. And of course that's where I met you. Almost uh, I think the, one of the first times was at uh, uh, at Pecos. When did we meet first at Pecos? Or was no, it at we met the, first uh, the Grandfield, Oklahoma? Yeah, it was a grand That's right. That's right. Uh, but my idea behind it was kind of what you're talking about, and that is, you know, for years I, I've had people, you know, doing the radio show, doing apple seeds, stuff like that. And the conversation always turns to, uh, you know, people saying, okay, what's the best rifle? What's the best uh, self-defense rifle? What's the best, uh, you know, uh, survival equipment, uh, you know, on and on. And uh, we would say, all right, if something happens and the end of the world comes, if a zombie attack, uh, I'm going to carry this rifle and I'm going to wear these boots and take this backpack and and all of that, and and that's how I'm going to do it. And uh, so I started asking, I said, well, have you, have you ever put all that stuff on and, you know, and tried to move in it and shoot and everything else? And they go, no. But, you know, but it's good quality <laughs> gear, so I know, it'll, I know it'll work. I said, well, I'm sure the gear might function as it's intended. I said, but do you know how, do you know how everything's going to work together? And, and no, no, very seldom did anybody, uh, had anybody ever put anything on and uh, tried to do anything with it. Because, number one, where would you do that at? The ranges aren't going to allow that. The ranges, most ranges are very formal. They don't want you to wear a bunch of gear. They don't want you drawing from your holster on the line. They dang sure don't want you moving around and getting in different positions. Uh, they don't want you running around the parking lot or anything else like that. They want you to go stand in that box, do your shooting uh, one round every three to five seconds, and, uh, and then go home. So where would you do something like that? How would you find out? You know, you could take your put on your gear on minus your rifle, and go hiking through the uh, the uh, uh, national parks or national forests, stuff like that. That's fine too. But that still that cuts out the uh, the section of shooting, so that you can see how you're actually going to shoot when you're hot and sweaty and fatigued. Because I can guarantee you, you shoot differently. You shoot much differently from walking from your car and sitting down at a bench and start shooting to whenever you hit the uh, uh, the distance stage at the four-mile mark or at the seven-mile mark. I guarantee you, you shoot differently. And everybody should be able to, you should, logically, you should, you should be able to see that. So how are you going to, how are you going to figure this out? And that's, that was my goal in setting up the, uh, what we do, and that is so that you can see how this stuff is going to work together. And that's what basically what you said that you guys are doing, or that, or that you're not, not what you were doing, but what your personal goal was for this. And mine is the same way. Like whenever I do the, uh, when I do our events or uh, the Pecos event, uh, I haven't done yours yet, but when I come up and do yours, I'm going to do it. 
the way the way that I do the rest of them. That is, I'm going to grab the gear that I have here at the house that is my out-the-door gear, and that's what I'm going to take, and that's what I'm going to wear. Mm-hmm. Yep, I can guarantee you it's got too many rounds in it for any of the events. Uh, and it's got stuff that I'm never going to use at any of the events, but it's what I'm going to put on my back and take off with. So so that's what I run it with, you know? Yeah. That's what I run the event with is the the – the gear that uh, that I know that I'm going to wear, and that's why that's the, what I designed our event for, and that's the way that I run it. I uh, took way I took way uh, more ammo the last few times than I needed, and like I said, it wasn't because uh, I felt like I was going to be a bad shot. It was because uh, because that is what I'm going to carry if I happen to grab my bag and, and take off. The reason for that is, is that you may know, okay, back, back. The, uh, you may know uh, what the round count is uh, for the Pawnee event or for Pecos or for here, and uh, you may be able to carry just the right amount around and make it sure. But in the real world uh, scenarios, you... <laughs> You shoot a lot more rounds than you think, and that ammunition goes a lot faster than you think usually. Well, unless you've got a bolt-action rifle or something, uh, that ammunition goes pretty fast. So I make sure that I carry plenty of ammunition because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to get eaten, get my brain eaten by zombies for lack of ammunition. <laughs> so uh, I carry that. You know, I carry plenty with me, and. Uh, and that's how I that's how I train is 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 if the event that I'm going to be running that day is if that is just going to be uh, me grabbing my sack of stuff that's ready to go and taking off. So, uh, like you were talking about earlier, I I, I see the folks here doing the same thing. They're in their uh, very nice clean polo shirts, their uh, their golfing pants. Uh, They've got a nice, uh, uh, expensive leather uh, belt with a shiny uh, brass buckle, and uh, and they've got their holster and uh, the two extra magazines or something, and then uh, and their rifle. That's it. No water or nothing else. And uh, yep. And they turn in some really fast times, and they do some fantastic shooting. God bless them for that. I just uh, I I I don't look at the event that we run. Or that, uh, or, or that you guys, or that uh, Smokey runs out in West Texas. I just never really have looked at it as a competition. I just look at it as a training event, you know, as a field training exercise. Well, I, I have to admit, I looked at it as a competition, you know, because I, I, you know, I, I try to turn in a. I know you time. do. I know you do, and yeah. Mark uh, does but, too. You know. And uh, it, it, it's hard. It's hard not to because I think that's just our personality is, you know, yeah, I'm going to take the gear that I'm going to use, but I want to turn in the best time I can. So, I, so you know, we work really hard to do that. And, you know, I, I know realistically, you know, you weren't there last year, but uh, Pecos had a cadre of uh, Texas A&M shooting team youngsters, you know, all about 21, 22 years old that run and shoot for fun all the time at college. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, I'm not going to beat those guys, you know. I'm an old man, and I'm carrying a 30 cal, and they're running 223s, and they're young and strong, 
And, uh, you know, I, I know where I fit in that uh, food chain, but I still want to turn in the best time I can. And, and to me, it, it goes back to, you know, being the best that you can be, you know, really. I mean, that sounds kind of cornball, but, you know, if, if you're working and I know what my time was last year and I know what my time usually is when I train and stuff, you know, and you work to, uh, you know, you work to improve that, uh, you know, it, it can't help it can't help but uh, help your situation out, you know. And, and for guys that are, you know, overweight or haven't got any exercise and they come out and they do something like that, you know, if that's a motivation for them to uh, get a little bit stronger and a little bit faster, man, I mean, it. Uh, I think it's a great deal. I mean, it, to me, they, uh, the, run, the whole concept of the running gun deal was just uh, better than sliced bread as far as I'm concerned because it gives you something. It's, it's a motivator to give you something to train for and in both physically and in your shooting capabilities. You know, it'll show your weak spots in your shooting as well as this, uh, you know, as well as the physical part of it. I mean, absolutely. A lot of people don't understand that, you know, when you run up on a shooting station and you have to shoot unsupported from 250 yards, that doesn't sound like a big, long ways for most folks. But when you're breathing heavy and your sweat's running in your eyes and your heart's beating 100 times a minute and you're trying to beat the clock and change the magazine, it's... Uh, it's a lot of stress, and it uh, it really does change how well you can handle that. Well, what you meant to say was that doesn't sound like a big thing for most folks who don't have any experience because people that do have experience, uh, you know, in shooting understand that uh, that, that makes a huge difference. You know, if you, right. if you are uh, – if you hit a station, like a, either rifle or pistol station, if you hit a rifle or pistol station and uh, your heart rate is up and you are, you've got fatigue and your heart rate is up and it's pumping, uh, you know, that's an instant uh, uh, obstacle that you're going to have to surmount in order to make the shot. Every time that heartbeat, you know, you've got like a fist-sized muscle in your chest pushing, uh, you know, uh, several quarts of blood through your body. Every time that thing contract and expands your body moves you know and uh for you to make the shot uh, offhand is uh it's a difficult thing now not for not for the the folks who you know before i started shooting with like at appleseed i would uh i would have folks all the time telling me things like uh yeah, yeah man uh you know my 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 dad and i we put this ace of spades up on the door of the barn uh, 600 yards down there, and we just cut the center out of it. And, uh, <laughs> and I would go, you know, in my head, I would think, well, you Tell know, me that's how you do like that, pretty, pretty good shooting, man. That's like some really good shooting. I said, you guys must be really good. Uh, but uh, after years of seeing the guys shooting, seeing the people that that would say kind of like the same thing, to see them actually turn in the shots that they make, uh, I know that that, that's all blarney. There's only there's a very there's a very limited number of actual riflemen uh, out across the out across the world, and uh, and the way they got to be riflemen is through training, you know, through practicing their craft, and that's what this is. Now, this isn't uh, none of the events are going to be situations where you're going to where you're actually going to learn your craft. This is they, these are all diagnostics. All these events are just uh, they're diagnostics. They're going to show you uh, what your training has produced. And uh, before you came on the show, I think I was talking to folks about uh, 
about the fallacy. Uh, you hear people a lot of times talking about, uh, you know, if something happens uh, in their mind, they may not talk about it. They may just think this in their mind. But people will say or they will think, you know, if something happens, you know, I will rise to the occasion. I will, mm-hmm. I will overcome all adversity and I will make it happen. And what I said earlier is that that is a complete fallacy. When things happen like that, you, you, no one rises to the occasion. You, you, it's, a, it's impossible. What happens is you sink to the lowest level of your training. You know, whenever you throw everything in together, the fatigue, the adrenaline dump, everything, the, the fear, the, uh, the stress, when you dump all that in there together, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the lowest level of your training. So whatever that is, that's where you're going to end up, is down at that, at that bottom level of your training. So what these events do, the, the Pawnee and the Battle Run, the Pecos running gun, they don't, they don't train you per se. They simply uh, function as diagnostics. They show you what your level of training is. And uh, I agree with you. I mean, normally if I'm not here at this event, if I'm out in West Texas, I usually try and turn in my best event, which is not a great uh, uh, time. I usually try and turn in my best event. Now, when I'm here, it's a different story because uh, whenever I do the event here, normally I am uh, I carry uh, several cans of spray paint with me and a bunch of engineer tape and a camera and everything, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm remarking the trail as I go through it. Um, uh, taking photographs of uh, of everything, so it's uh, so my score is usually never uh, it's usually never very high. It's, it's right around the fifty percent line uh, because I've got so many other things on my mind that I'm trying to do here. Uh, that's uh, on the the staff day. We run it on Friday. Do you guys do the same thing there? We do we do the same thing. Yeah, we do the RO run on Friday, and then everybody else on Saturday. You know, it's something that. Uh, you know, people don't appreciate probably that that take take part in these events. Uh, you know, the first time I did Pecos, I was an RO, so I saw a little bit of it. But then, until I started putting together my own deal, uh, there is a ton of work that goes into putting one of these things together. I mean, it's logistically, yeah. uh, you know, safety, having the ROs, getting everything set up, and uh, inevitably somebody is going to say, man, I wish it had been like that, or that sucked after to go to that part. It's like, dude, you know, please set up your own, and I'll come run it for you. You know, yeah. I'll be glad yeah, exactly. to run your course because it, it, is, it is difficult. We, like I said earlier, man, we are so blessed to have the, the landowner that John McAllister and his dad that have this land down there. And, uh, you know, of course, this is different than being in West Texas where it's all desert and you can see five miles. This is mostly farmland and woods. And uh, John and his dad got their own tractor, and they actually cut a trail through there for us. So it's, uh, you know, you, you've got a pretty well-marked deal, you know, because running in, in uh, Oklahoma in the middle of summer is kind of like running through a jungle, you know, and you, you there's not any really uh, good trails to follow when you get through that kind of stuff. And having those trails mowed and, and uh, you know, having things marked like that, well, that, that just makes things so much easier. It's, it's, it, that is the, you know, you touched on a little bit, you know, talking about where can people go train, where can people go do this. I'm, I'm really blessed because I have a great uh, place to run that's on my way home from work. But I can actually strap on my gear and I can go run five and a half miles every day if I want to. And uh, most people don't have that. 
and to find a place that you can actually do that and have a shooting event too is just almost impossible. So, uh, you know, having John right there in Pawnee and being willing to share their land and let us let us come out and do that is that's awesome. And if anybody out there listening knows anybody with a bunch of land or has any kind of opportunity like that, please get a hold of us and uh, let's get another one of these things going on. You know, because uh, you know we're we're not in it trying to corner the market and get rich and, and all that. You know, we want more people to do this. I wish there was events like this all over the country. I'd be you know traveling all the time to go to them. Yeah, because right now. Uh, I was telling folks earlier, now I'm hearing some of my phone is beeping. I'm hearing it. It may give out. If it does, I'll, uh, uh, if it does, if you, if, if I disappear, uh, just shoot the breeze for a sec, couple of seconds and I'll call in on my cell phone. <clears throat> but uh, when I was uh, talking at the beginning of the show, I think uh, I mentioned that right now, uh, we're the only, there's only three groups uh, anywhere in the United States that are doing an event like this. That's Smokey mm-hmm. Briggs' uh, event out in West Texas, the Pawnee uh, Run and Gun in Oklahoma, and uh, the Battle Road event here in Texas. We're the only folks in the United States doing this. Uh, there are other uh, uh, stamina-type events, like the uh, the Tough Mudder phenomenon and the, the SEAL experience with bone frog, stuff like that. If you just want to run and do some obstacles and stuff, you can do that. But but we're the only three groups now across the nation that uh, that also add in uh, the shooting uh, function to the event. Well, that's right, you know, and uh, and I don't want to take anything away from those other groups either because I do the other things as well, and uh, you know I'm I'm kind of into the trail running and all that, and all of those. Any of those events that you do, whether even when you're not shooting or whatever, you know, you're still improving yourself. You're training your body to to improve itself every time you participate in one of those events. And every one of those events, just like a running gun, is a diagnostic. You know, you can say, well, I need to work on this, or you know, maybe I need to cut out the Twinkies next week or whatever. You know, it's a all of those events are good, but the shooting thing is really unique, and I wish there were more of more of them. You know, like we have in Texas and Oklahoma, right? And, uh, yeah, and maybe we, maybe there, maybe there will be. Maybe we can get, uh, uh, you know, some more, uh, like you said, get some more events started up that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, where we can get uh, get like a circuit going and have the, uh, you know, have folks that, you know, have a circuit that you actually participate and compete on. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Uh, All right, now, right now, you guys are, uh, are you just doing this once a year? We're doing it twice a year. We're doing it, uh, we're doing it January and July. And as of right now, the plan is for us to continue to do that every July and every January. Okay, perfect. And we've got uh, April and uh, October, and uh, Smokey has September, right? Right. So it's a pretty good, uh, you know, it's a pretty decent circuit already. And uh, and a lot of folks are really... Uh, uh, you know they're they're really excited about it, and uh, they've come to come to all the ones that we've had. 
Now, I will say this. Some of the folks, uh, and I'm not trying to dog any of the folks that come. I'm just saying that that I have seen folks that... uh, that looked like they just fast roped out of a Blackhawk, and uh, and then I've seen them on the speed wall, which is just uh, 250 meters, and they were having a real hard time making uh, uh, making shots on a human-sized silhouette at 250 meters. And what that should tell them, uh, using this as a diagnostic, what that should tell them is that they need some more training. It, uh, they've got to get down their training. They got the look down. They look good. Maybe their gear works good. Maybe they can make it. Maybe they run it in a good time. But that ain't going to do it because you also got to put rounds on target. So, uh, so that is hopefully one of the benefits of this is the folks see that uh, that they need some training. I know for us on stage uh, eight. And that, uh, for for the last event here, stage eight was a speed wall. And that's at the end of the run, you know, the end of the four and a half miles, and you hit a stage where you have a 50-foot-long uh, wall, six-foot wide, 50 feet long, and uh, there are nine positions along uh, the wall on this station, and you'll have to shoot and get one shot on uh, on the target each of those nine positions, and you'll have to make a hit on the target before you can move to the next position. And uh, you're not allowed more than uh, three consecutive misses at any position. And then you time out at, uh, I think it's three and a half minutes. And uh, and that, listen, that was a killer. That was a killer. A lot of folks uh, bit the dirt on that one. <clears throat> I noticed that we, we get a lot of people okay. that, no, I'm still here. We, we we always have a lot of difficulty. Of course, the 500-yard shot, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, there, there's a lot of people that thought they would make that shot, and there's a lot of people that talk about making shots like that and greater <clears throat> that really haven't even seen a human silhouette at 500 yards. You know, they don't know what 500 yards looks like. You know, they, they know right. it was on the other side of Grandpa's pasture, and that must be 500 yards. <laughs> you know, but it, right, but it right. really wasn't, and and so so they don't really know they're ballistic, and I'm not really dogging them, you know, because I mean if if you, if you don't know it, if you haven't experienced it, you know, how can you train for it? So so you know then they get a little bit of training, but we always have, uh, you know, the long shot always gets a lot of people, Pecos or when it was at Thunderbird or at Pawnee, and uh, and the other one is uh, the multiple distance, you know, where you have multiple targets out there and they have to change from 300 to 200 to 100. Uh, you know, people, for some reason, you know, they have a hard time coping with that, usually because that stage is towards the end of the run and they're really tired. And uh, and I've done it myself, you know, not, oh, I'm shooting, you know, I'm shooting 300 yards and it's only 100 yards or, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it eats you up and uh, it, it, it's just a real eye-opener for a lot of folks. And, and buying the best gear is always a good idea, but gear does not overcome a lack of training. In any case, right. ever. Right, and that that should be like I said. If you use this, if you use these events correctly as a diagnostic tool, then you'll be able to see where your weaknesses are. Maybe it's not on the rifle. Maybe you're good to go with the rifle, and you can uh, you can drop that target. Uh, uh, you can pop one uh, one target uh, every 20 seconds. Maybe you're good to go with that. Maybe your problem is uh, on this stage. Uh, 
three stages before us, uh, which is making a, a headshot with a pistol, uh, you know, as you're moving and stuff like that. Uh, but this will give you where your weak points, this will tell you where your weak points are. And we've tried to make, uh, we've tried to make these scenarios uh, make them cover the most probable ways that, that you might encounter some type of shooting situation in the real world. So it should give you a, kind of a, a wide variety of situations so that you can find your weak spots. And uh, I'll tell you what, though, for the, most of the rifle folks, the situations that, that Al and I were just talking about, whether it be 500 yards uh, single shot or the multiple distance one, apple seed is one of the best places you can go uh, to help you figure that out because they will work with you. They'll help you uh, develop a good battle site zero for your rifle so that you are, you are able to shoot through the rifleman's tube, and that is and having a battle site zero so that you can very quickly, without doing uh, much calculation at all, you can very quickly move from 100 to 300 to 400 uh, uh, yard shots just by doing your uh, very simple uh, calculations, maybe just a minute bit of, uh, of holdover and stuff like that, and how to make the 500-yard uh, shots to your rifle with either optics or iron. And uh, I, you just can't you can't get around it. It's a, it's one of the best uh, ways to get your instruction. So I, I'm always going to tell folks that, uh, and I tell them that here. When I see them at the uh, at stage uh, uh, at stage eight, see them on the rifle wall, and they're doing poorly, I say, "Look, man, you need to you need to go and spend a couple of days at the apple seed and get some work on your rifle. That's where you're that's where you're weak at. And you don't want to be weak when you're shooting uh, at distance because that's where you always want to keep your targets. You want to keep them at distance, be able to uh, uh, engage them at uh, at distance, because that helps protect you, keeps them from getting in close. Because the closer Man, the closer your enemy gets, the it starts negating any training. You know, anybody well, can hit you with a rifle from 50 feet. You don't have to have any training. Uh, so you want to make sure that you're engaging them out beyond their training. You know, so you need to have that. You need to work on your skills, and this this these help you diagnose where you're weak. Well, if you're if you're get that training and you're able to hit, you know, if you are in a situation other than a running gun, and you're hitting targets at five or six hundred yards out there, not only are you hitting the targets that you intend to hit, but you're also discouraging the others around them from approaching you, and that can be very intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Now, unless they're zombies and they just don't care, and they're going to keep coming no matter what, see, I can smack them down. You know, yeah, but if they're uh, if they're jihadists or if they're uh, or if they're, you know, uh, looters, Russian invaders, looters, yeah, whoever, then uh, then that's going to work just great. And I, I'm always going to encourage folks to to attend an Apple Seed event. Or uh, I'm not sure if you've heard about it, but uh, but we here at Battle Road have developed a rifle marksmanship program, and uh, we'll be starting it in September, and it'll go uh, once a month. At this location, now if people want us to come to their ranges, we'll bring it to their range and we'll do it there. But once a month at this location, we'll be running a two-day rifle marksmanship program. It's going to teach the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship uh, with an emphasis on uh, Texas history. It's called the Ghost of Goliad Rifle Marksmanship Program. 
and uh, and it's just the thing if you want to get the uh, fundamentals of rifle marksmanship uh, uh, training in at a bargain bargain basement price because the fundamentals the the course that we're teaching is a fundamentals course it's not a basic course or a baby course the fundamentals course that means it's teaching you the skills and techniques you'll need no matter where your shooting path is going to lead you. Uh, it's the same, the, the stuff that we'll be teaching you on these two-day courses is the same stuff that you'll need whether you're going to be shooting at tin cans or you're, gonna, you're getting ready to take the uh, SWAT sniper course or the designated marksman course for the military. Uh, so be sure and check the Battle Road uh, uh, website because... Uh, because these are ready to go live uh, this next week. We'll have the uh, event bright pages up for folks to start registering. Okay, I just jumped, I just threw that in there real quick, uh, Al. That sounds like a great program. And, uh, you know, I, I was just watching an uh, interview with Carlos Hathcock taken some years ago. Of course, he's gone now. And uh, I'm assuming that a lot of people know who Carlos Hathcock is, really highly decorated uh, Marine sniper in Vietnam had like 170 kills or something like that. He was just uh, 193 kills, I believe. And uh, he, in conjunction with some of his uh, superiors, developed the Marine sniping school after he came back right. from Vietnam. And uh, watching this interview, they were, you know, talking about how he trained the guys that were in that school. And he said, well, you know, we run them. He said, that's the first thing you do is you run them to death, get the heart rate up, get the heart pumping, and then they got to shoot. And they showed one of those recruits, and he's got taped to his rifle stock six steps firing shot. Fundamentals. It's not. <laughs> these guys are marine snipers, okay? It's not. Baby steps. You know, and I don't want anybody to think, you know, and I know you just said this, but I just want to reinforce that, that, you know, people think, well, it's just a basic, you know, I know how to shoot a rifle. No, man. I mean, if you do something wrong, you're breaking one of those fundamental rules, and it doesn't hurt anybody to go back. You know, I, I mean, I, I have known people that were snipers that have come to some of these fundamental-type classes, and they came away going, wow, man, I forgot about that, or, you know, I, I didn't realize I needed to work on focusing on that front side, or my trigger control, or, you know, some of those things that are really basic, that you get out of practice and you don't have somebody pointing out what you're doing. I mean, it, it can really be helpful. And I mean, if yeah. guys that are in that marine in that marine sniper school need that, then uh, then I'm pretty sure that we need it too. You know. Well, you know, whenever you whenever you grow up shooting, even if you grow up shooting and you learn stuff uh, from everywhere else, there's always the the chance that that some portion of it may have gotten lost, or it may have become de-emphasized, or you you may have forgotten the importance of it. So it's always good. Uh, to go back through a fundamentals course, and I, I tell folks all the time, I go, look, if, if, if the thing that's going to save your life, these high-speed, uh, uh, you know, tactical courses, uh, they may, who knows, but the reality of it is the thing that's going to save your life is being well-versed in the fundamentals, and to have the fundamentals down, you know, as part of your muscle and mind memory, uh, that's what's going mm -hmm. to save your life. And I've experienced the same thing. You know, I went to uh, a rifleman's boot camp several years ago, and uh, hell, it's been almost a decade now. And there was a guy there who was uh, uh, a professional shooter. Matter of fact, he'd shot in competition uh, for the military for, I don't know, 20-some years. 
and he went through the same uh, fundamentals uh, eight-day course that I went through, and at the end said the same thing. He said, man, he said, I, I wish I wish I would have started uh, my, uh, my career with this course because it, 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 the, the fundamentals course that uh, we teach and that Apple T teaches, it's not going to make you a, uh, a sniper or a, a designated marksman in the two days. Uh, but what it will do is it will give you all of the tricks to put in your book, everything that you need to work on, it will give you that so you have a, an understanding of what it takes to make the shot. And then mm-hmm. you can work on refining and honing those skills. But you have to know what they are before you can work on them. So uh, so getting a good course, a uh, good fundamentals course, is something, like I said, that I always recommend. And the, and the courses that, uh, that Al and I are talking about, the, uh, the Thunderbird and the Pawnee uh, course, uh, Smokey Briggs' course and the Battle Road course here, they're great fundamentals uh, of survival courses because it will tell you uh, where your areas of weakness are. Uh, if you get out to mile marker, mile marker three and uh, and you've got to sit down or lay down and go to sleep, then and you know you may need a little bit of work uh, physical uh, you know, you may need to start going out and walking or jogging or something like that uh, because uh, just like Al was saying a few minutes ago, whenever you, when you hit that rifle stage at midpoint or at the end and uh, your blood is pumping, uh, you still have to make the shot. Uh, it doesn't matter what is happening to you, what your body's doing. It doesn't in the real world. Uh, in the course, of course, you can you can miss a shot. You, you know, you can say, oh, whatever, it was my heart was pumping or I was tired. Uh, that's up to you. But the fact is, in the real world, uh, you have to be able to make the shot if you're going to survive. If you're going to succeed, you have to make the shot. I mean, you have to you have to be able to uh, have the stamina so that you can come burning into uh, stage eight. Uh, and hold the rifle in your offhand position and still make that shot, you have to be able to do that. So if you can't, because of physical limitations, and that just tells you I've got to, I'm going to have to work on uh, on walking, on jogging, building up my stamina. I'm going to have to work on my arm strength so that uh, my arms aren't shaking when I get there. Uh, if you are, uh, if you're 800 meters into the run, and uh, you start limping because you've developed a blister on your foot, well, that tells you another aspect about it, and that is your gear. Uh, mm-hmm. Because you've got, you got another four miles to go. And if you've already burned a blister on your foot at the half-mile mark, you ain't going to make it. I mean, not without, not without ending up at the end with a, uh, a boot full of mush, you know. So... And the same thing with uh, with your backpack. If you're, you know, if you hit the uh, the two mile mark and you go, man, that thing sure feels like it's rubbing. And you reach back there under your shirt and you feel like a bloody little hole that you rubbed in your back from that backpack. And that ain't gonna work, man. I know for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've done both well, of those. I've been there, man. <laughs> I've had to refine my gear a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, matter of fact, I was at, uh, I, and, you know, I, 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 I don't do it the same way every time. I always change something because I want to see if I can, if, if something works better, uh, you know, something, you know, doesn't work as well. And I think, uh, let's see, at Pecos a couple of years ago, I said at the last, and this was the last minute thing, which wasn't a good idea because really you should be, you, you don't, you don't wait to the event to try something new. You try it out at home and you see if it works and then, and then you can do the full diagnostic when you get to the event. But at the last minute I said, you know what, I'm not gonna wear I'm not gonna carry all of my my mags and stuff on my upper body gear this time. I said, I'm I'm gonna switch it. I've got a belt I've got a good belt on. I'm gonna switch it to my belt. I'm gonna carry my mags on my belt. So that's what I did. I popped them all on my belt right before I took off on the race. I wasn't 700 meters into that race before I, well, before the situation developed, which meant that the rest of the race uh, meant that I had to run with one hand grasping my crotch and pulling it up tight against my body because <laughs> the all the mags on my belt was pulling my pants down, which made yeah. my legs chafe, and, uh, and so I had to run holding my crotch the whole way, the rest of the, uh, however many, I think it was close to seven miles there. Yeah. But that will teach you very quickly. If, if there's something wrong with your gear, uh, then you're going to find out. Same thing with the obstacles. Now, we put the obstacles in ours not to break you, but to help you understand that there, you're going to have to do other things besides just walk in a straight line or run in a straight line out in the real world. You're going to have to climb over stuff or climb under stuff. And uh, I put a uh, eight or nine foot wall up made out of uh, stock fence panels and boards and stuff. People have to climb just straight up and over climb. But uh, I found out uh, very quickly w whenever I put it up and was starting to practice on it that, uh, that carrying your rifle in a single point sling and climbing over that is not a, it doesn't work so good because the rifle hangs real low and uh, and when you're trying to go up and over the top, you got the rifle down below you, which means you have to grab it back again with your hands. So that helped me to figure out that uh, I needed to modify the way I was going to carry my rifle uh, if I planned to go over any obstacles. And, that, and, and it worked the same way for crossing a fence or a gate or anything else. If your rifle just drops and hangs low on a single point, it's not going to work good. And mm -hmm. that helps you to figure figure this out. Now we had a we had a uh, a low crawl over on stage uh, three, and uh, man, I had to kind of modify that one too because that was that ended up being a killer for a lot of folks. And the reason why is because I said, all right, well here we've got this low crawl and it's like a 18 foot uh, underneath wire. You had to crawl, you know, crawl on your belly about 18 feet. And that is with your backpack and everything else on. So you've got to get low enough to go through it. But uh, in order to make it easier on people's uh, knees and stuff, I carried a, a tractor bucket load of sharp sand over and dumped it and spread it out there. Well, here's Good. the problem with that, is that if you go through that and you're not paying attention, you've got your uh, action open, and uh -huh. any of that sharp sand gets into that rifle, then you're done. I mean, it killed. Mm -hmm. It probably killed like six or seven rifles. Uh, yeah. 
because that large, you know, that sand was a very coarse, sharp sand. Mm-hmm. So you had those large grains of uh, sharp crystals. They got inside those actions, and they locked them up. And uh, yep. that, that is another, that, that's one of the things that you find out is that that, that can very easily happen to you. If you get oh, that yeah. rifle down in the sand and you, grab, you get some sand in there and you don't pay attention to it, and uh, you get to the next uh, rifle station, you try and shoot, and it's got the large grains of sharp sand in there, you're done. Yep, there's a whole lot of things that's learned, and you know, and you learn a little bit every time you do one of these things too. You know, you can you can uh, find out where the weak spot in your you know in in your gear is. I know when uh, the first time I ran Pecos, you know, I ran with M1A, which never fails, never jams, never has a problem. I went to the VTAC board and I was shooting a single shot all of a sudden, and I went through the whole course thinking my you know I had got a bunch of that. West Texas sand in my in my action, and it was just not feeding right. Something was wrong, and I didn't realize until the next day that the gas tube nut had started backing out. So I was I was essentially shooting a single shot rifle, but I was so focused on what I thought was the problem, you know, and I couldn't see any farther than that because I was so tired and hot and mad because my rifle wasn't working right that I didn't even you know I didn't even look at it objectively, and uh, you know that seems like I remember that. Uh, I guarantee I remember it well, <laughs> but you know, but you know that that's lesson learned. I bet I never do that again, you know. Or if it happens again, I bet I learn to look at more than one thing, you know. And you know, you, you do that when when you start uh, when you start getting hot and tired. I was there a couple of years ago, and I remember I was at, the, at one of the last stages shooting shooting targets, and I was and I was having a hard time target, and I didn't realize, but I had sunglasses on, and I had so much sweat coming off the top of my uh, head that it was it was blurring my glasses, and I was just, you know, I was just gritting my teeth and just shooting more and trying harder, you know, and it's like, look, dummy, you know, raise your glasses up, and then when you can see, you can do that, but it's just real simple stuff like that that becomes a huge stumbling block, and you don't ever think about it, you know, until you encounter it. I mean, that's just really simple stuff. can cause you a great deal of heartache because you're not your your mind is not able to focus on things like it is when you're not hot, tired. You've been you know running for five miles. And, right. Uh, yeah, I think it's right. a good lesson for anybody. Yeah, this last event uh, uh, here, uh, I was getting ready to run the event, and and at the last man, it was down to the last uh, I guess the last thirty minutes or so, and. Uh, and I had a bunch of chores left, but I wanted to make sure that I that I got the event in on Friday rather than Saturday because on Saturday I I needed to be doing other stuff. And I was looking at uh, the amount of ammo I had and stuff like that, and I go, dang, I don't want to shoot up any more of the five five six because uh, it's still kind of hard to mm-hmm. spin in the arm and a leg. But I I had a ton of uh, six, and you know I ran the first running gun up in Pecos with my with my Garand, mm-hmm. and I love the Garand, and I always, for years, that was my, you know, my go-to uh, firearm, and it still is, but at the last minute, I said, okay, I'm going to use my Garand, because I've got, I got plenty of ammunition for it, and I grabbed it, I took a look at it, and uh, when I store it, you know, I clean, I clean the rifle fairly decently, Now I have a, a my policy for rifle cleaning is I, I usually never do anything to the bore other than I snake the bore uh, after I shoot, and uh, I'll put uh, some uh, 
some oil and I'll snake it. Uh, the rest of everything gets uh, pretty much clean, but I don't jack with the bores. And uh, and then I'll clean everything real good, put a very fine coat of oil on it, and then it goes back in the safe. Well, I grab the rifle, I look at it, and I go, dang, that's not enough oil on there because the grands, they like to shoot, uh, they like to be wet. Uh, mm-hmm. And they like to have it. It, it looks. It needs to look nasty, uh, you know, stuffed with grease and stuff. And I go, well, uh, I'm pretty sure I've got uh, some grease pots in the stock, and uh, and I'm and I'll, I'm good to go. Well, I took off with it and uh, and made it through the first rifle stage okay, but I could tell it was starting to tighten up, and I popped open the. Uh, the stock to take a look, and I did not have the grease pots in there. And because uh, our uh, our rules, I believe they're the same as yours and the same as Smokey's too, which is when you cross the finish line, everything that you're going to use during the course of the event is is on your person. You can't get something from anybody else. You can't you can't ask somebody for a drink of water for an extra round or for right. Some rifle lubricant qualified or catch a penalty on it. Well, that turns my rifle uh, with the, the dirt that I gathered on it, it having just that 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 dry coating of uh, uh, lubricant on it, that turned it into a single shot. So, mm-hmm. which is wasn't a problem until you get to uh, like stage seven, you know, where you've got to shoot 40 rounds uh, very quickly. But that was a problem, and. Uh, and it was from poor planning. Poor planning. You change your plans to the last minute, and you don't check to see that you have everything, then uh, then you'll end up with a single-shot rifle. Uh, yep. Now, the reverse of that is I found out, not at this event, but I found out from shooting in inclement weather uh, at an Appleseed event, was that, uh, that if you're going to be shooting in the rain, uh, you may want to clean off a lot of the grease because mine completely packed with grease. It started pouring down rain, and I was on the actual distance uh, range there at uh, Jericho up in Vermont. And uh, popped that first round off, and my face was completely, even though I was wearing uh, shooting glasses, the the lubricant, the grease, whenever I fired, turned into a mist. And that mist got all over my face, all over my eyes, everything. And when you're, you get water in your eyes, you just wipe it out. But when you get a mist of gun grease in your eyes, it's, it's a different kind of story. So yeah. that's something else that you learn. You know, if it's going to start raining, then uh, grab your bandana, grab something. You can try and get the, as much of the grease and stuff out of the action as you can before you put that thing up to your face and start shooting. The only way you learn this, this stuff is by doing it. And uh, and that means that you've got to get out somewhere and do it. And right now, if you're going to do of training, the only place you're going to be able to do it is with the Al up in Oklahoma, with us here in Central Texas, or with Smokey out in West Texas. Uh, I'm in the process of uh, putting together a new website right now, and I added you and Smokey to the to the website, and cool. uh, so that. Uh, that folks can see, uh, they can get the information to, to hopefully to attend your event. <clears throat> uh, do you guys well, have, have any? I'm gonna have uh, to get off here pretty quick. 
out, but I, I just, if you don't mind, let me just say, you know, if they want to get on our website at okrunninggun.com, uh, my number's on there, and Daniel Hinch, you know, we're kind of partners in this together. Uh, they can call either me or Dan, and uh, we'll get them squared away on whatever they need to do to participate. Right. All right, we put you up here on the chat, and uh, and I'll put you in the show notes and on the blog, and then uh, and once the uh, new the new website goes live, you'll be on there too. Uh, all right, anything else you want to say before you uh, before you hit the road? Hello. Can you hear me? Come again. I heard you say something, but I couldn't understand you. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I hear you. Okay. I was just saying that uh, you said you had to go. Is there anything you want to say before you uh, take off? I just appreciate you having me on here, and I just, uh, you know, whether people can make it up to our run or whether they make it to your run, I just encourage people to get out and try some of this stuff to, uh, you know, find those weak spots and just continue to work on them and uh, improve themselves, you know. Well, one of the things I hear from people, like you said uh, earlier, one of the things I hear from all of the people, almost everyone that I talk to, they go through the event is they say, uh, wow, that was a lot different than what I thought it was. And man, I'm really gonna I'm really gonna work on whatever. I'm gonna work on this, I'm gonna work on that, I'm really gonna train for the next one. And that's the whole point of this, is it gives people uh first of all it gives them a diagnostic tool to see how their how their skills, their stamina, uh, their gear all stacks up. But then it also gives them motivation to train for the next one. And when I went out to that first event out in West Texas uh, at Smokies and, uh, and saw how poorly I did uh, on that one, I said, man, that's never going to happen again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train. And I did. Yep. And, uh, and that is, I think, one of the best things that people come away from these events with is, is a desire to, to do not as poorly as they did last time. <laughs> I, I would uh, I would say one other thing too uh, that we haven't touched on a, a guy that uh, actually a friend of mine finally got talked to talked him into doing one of these deals and uh, he admitted to being a little bit apprehensive about some of the people that were going to be there and he thought it was going to be a whole bunch of just real you know tough guy hard heads that are you know going to make fun of you if you don't do good or run down your gear or anything like that. And, you know, I've been to many of these events, and you do not see that. The guys that are really good are going to try to help you because they don't have anything to prove. And uh, the, the ones that are not that good, they're not going to speak up. So every, everybody you run into these, I mean, you meet the greatest people at uh, at these kinds of events. I mean, you meet a lot of ex-soldiers and Marines and, and uh, you know, people that are doctors and lawyers and every, everybody, but they all kind of have the one goal in mind and i i've never run into anybody that was uh anything less than helpful i mean if if anything you know say man i had trouble on that somebody's going to be just like me and you and say hey man here's here's what you need to do to fix this you know it's uh they shouldn't be intimidated by the crowd that they think is going to be there oh no man the people at these events have always been some of the best folks that i've ever run into friendly uh they're they're very outgoing they're very friendly uh, they're more than willing, like if you're getting ready for the run and they see that you don't have something or you need something, man, people will grab gear and give it to you. They, uh, you know, you come across the line and, they'll, and folks will come walking up to you with uh, some cold water or cold beer. And uh, and everybody, everybody that goes is 
is just uh, the, the cream of the crop as far as I'm concerned. And you never see anybody, like you said, you don't, you don't find very many hardheads uh, at all in any events like this because, because the rest of the folks wouldn't put up with it. Everybody, right. there's no Nazis, there's no uh, 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 crazy militia. Uh, I'm not saying militia is crazy. I'm just saying that sometimes there are some crazy people that you meet. Um, if you've been, in, if you've ever been in the circuit long enough, you know who I'm talking about. There's there's yep. folks that are that are out there. You don't find those kind of folks. There's no uh, uh, everybody that just uh, that I've met at these events has had just a, a good heart. They've been good folks. Yep. Uh, always willing to help, and uh, and uh, I think that uh, and uh, maybe not the maybe was it maybe it was the last one or maybe the time before I was at uh, when I was out at West Texas at the uh, Smokies run. I mean, I was getting ready for my run. My time my time slot was coming up, and my feet uh, were in such pain uh, from a uh, 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 a neurological thing that I just I said there's no way I can make this there's no way I can do this uh, the pain is just it's too much uh, I'm just not going to be able to uh, you know to concentrate and do the run and uh, and I was sitting there waiting for my time to come up and I'm trying to think of how I'm going to get out of it you know how I'm going to back out of this thing with any kind of uh, honor left and uh <laughs> I don't remember the guy's name, uh, but uh, uh, he was one of the guys. He was kind of uh, he was very he was kind of a loud guy, and he was giving he was giving different people a hard time, but in a good way. And uh, he was talking about one of his buddies uh, who was still over in uh, it was either Iraq or Afghanistan at the time, and his buddy was in special forces, and he said his buddy was getting ready to go out on a mission when he was talking to him. And he was, uh, he said he wanted to hurry up and get back to his barracks because he wanted to change out of his good leg and put on his crappy leg because he said their patrol was going to be going through some marshes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And apparently, you know, the guy had uh, lost uh, one of his legs uh, there in combat previously, back in combat with that uh, prosthetic leg on. And he was still going to go out uh, on his mission with that prosthetic leg, and he just wanted to make sure he wasn't uh, he wasn't messing up his, I guess, his dress leg, and uh, he wanted to switch it out. And I thought, man, that made you feel good, after, didn't it? Yeah, after hearing that story, what am I going to say? What am I? Yeah. What is there anything at all I'm going to say other than taking a, a machete and chopping off one of my legs? It's going to work, and uh, and I I ended up not. Uh, backing out, I just said I'm gonna have to suck this up because there's no way I can I can not after hearing that story. I did the run; it was very painful. That's all I thought about during the whole run was uh, how dang painful it was. But uh, but I went ahead and ran it nonetheless, and I felt a lot better uh, for it. Not physically, but a lot better mentally for it. Uh, right. And, and that physical and that's pain only these events did. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, hey, Scott, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, if uh, if anybody needs anything, uh, call me or Dan. If they want to have any questions, uh, the course of fires on the website. If they got any other questions or anything, any, any special considerations, man, we'd be glad to work full. And uh, we'd like to see as many people out there as we can. Okay. 
Al, thanks a lot. Thanks for what you guys are doing. Uh, I miss you, brother. I hope to see you in just a couple of weeks. I sure hope so. We got we got a chili dog for you, man. <laughs> All right, take care. God bless and keep you. And uh, and hopefully we'll see you in a couple of weeks. And if not, I'll talk to you uh, after the event. Call back in so you can tell us how it went. All right, thanks a lot, Scott. Take care, buddy. All right, you too, brother. Take care. Okay, I want to thank uh, Al for calling in, and uh, and I wanted to give him that that time to talk about the event because uh, because we want uh, we want these things to go well. Uh, I want our try to start up uh, events like this. I want them to do well. I want them to succeed because it's important that folks. Uh, are out there training around events like this, using events like this to get them motivated to continue their training. And uh, and we want them to do well. We want our friends to do well. Right now, like I said, there's only the three uh, groups right now that are doing it. There's Smokey Big Briggs group out in West Texas that runs the uh, uh, Pecos Running Gun in the Sun. Uh, and uh, they... Uh, usually in the late September. Uh, there's the uh, Pawnee uh, group that is doing it uh, in uh, January and uh, let's see, I don't remember what he, what he said. It was January and October. No. Uh, November. January and November. And uh, uh, or July. July, he's got a July, and uh, I'm looking on the website right now, looking at it right here. Uh, that one's in July, and and maybe it is July and January. Anyway, it uh, is, uh, okay, let me see if I get it on this page. Well, you can go to the uh, OK Run In gun, that's O-K-R-U-N, the letter N, G-U-N, dot com. You can go there to uh, find to read more about the event, to uh, look up the course of fire, and uh, uh, and you can contact uh, Jan- uh, Daniel, who was on last week, or Al. They've got their contact information there on the uh, uh, on the website. And, uh, and then we have our events in April, and October, and uh, it would be great to have other uh, the same kind of events so that uh, you could do some training. Uh, and like I said, really, it's not training. The, the specific event is not training. It's a diagnostic, and uh, uh, but it helps you to learn where your weak points are. And uh, I was glad that they have. It. Al's a great guy. So is Daniel. Uh, Daniel was on last week, and uh, both those guys are great guys, salt of the earth. And uh, if you go out to Oklahoma, then uh, they're going to treat you. Uh, they're going to treat you just like a relative. All right, uh, in a good way, a good relative. All right. Uh, <clears throat> the the show tonight. The title uh, was the coming storm, and I'm going to continue on with what I was talking about that uh, earlier, and that is that uh, 
that, and I keep telling you guys about this, and that is that it's guaranteed that something is going to be headed your way. Now, uh, the way that uh, I tell you guys, the way that you should consider preparing uh, for the events that uh, that you might encounter is from the most likely to occur event to the least likely to occur event. That's how you set up your your uh, your process of uh, preparation and uh, your uh, the, the way that you start preparing. You set up so that you can uh, that you're able to navigate the most likely thing to occur uh, first. And those are the things that, uh, like I said, that we, we, we talk about these all the time. That's the things like uh, the, uh, the two-day snowstorm, a tornado, a hurricane, uh, a uh, forest or range fire, brush fire, uh, uh, flooding, uh, two days of black ice, uh, breaking your leg, uh, and I don't mean breaking your leg out in the wilderness. I just mean breaking your leg in the course of uh, living your life and 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 working uh, your regular jobs, etc. Uh, you want to make sure that you're preparing for the most likely event to occur. <clears throat> and and each and every one of us is probably going to experience this. It's just, it's a fact of life that something is going to happen. And that's what you should be preparing for. That's how you should look at uh, at your path towards self-reliance and toward prepping. It is not saying that, well, unless I can, unless I can just buy that year of food right now and, and all the rest of the stuff that I'll need to survive the end of the world, then there's really no point in it because I'm just going to die uh, and go by the wayside. Uh, that's the least likely thing to occur is that the world is going to come to a stop uh, and that there'll be complete lawlessness and and the city's on fire and everything else. Uh, so don't set that as your goal. A very, uh, a very simple thing to start off with, very compartmentalized, that is you're going you're gonna to set up with your your initial goal to be, I'm gonna, I want to, uh, this week my goal is going to be uh, to put together uh, enough stuff to survive for one day, uh, enough water, enough food. I'm going to look at my uh, security situation for one day, uh, look at my energy situation for one day. That doesn't mean buying a generator. It means making sure that you got batteries for your flashlights, for your uh, uh, portable uh, radios, uh, the things that you'll need to continue on with communication. Uh, <clears throat> Maybe looking at getting some way to uh, to charge your cell phones or iPads, stuff like that, so that uh, you can continue to communicate with the rest of the world in the event that you lose power. Uh, making sure that you have uh, uh, whatever is needed for your specific uh, location. If you're uh, up north in the freezing area, making sure that you've got uh, that that you've got warm clothes to wear, that you've got blankets. Uh, make it just for the one day. Make sure that you've got enough stuff. And think this out. You know, think it out. What, what would I need? If uh, 
if there was a snowstorm and I lost power, what am I going to need to make it through that day? What if the water freezes or goes out? Uh, where am I going to get the water? Uh, what if I, what if I hadn't gone to the grocery store in a week? Uh, how am I going to get food? <laughs> Think it through uh, and make sure that uh, you can go through for that one day. All right. Then your next goal will be to expand it and to head to uh, to making it through two days. Uh, and that is the way you look at this. You be, you continue to expand it incrementally, and you can make it uh, make it a game, uh, a contest for yourself. You know, uh, make it a competition with yourself to say, okay, I'm, I've done, I successfully did the one day. Way to go! Pat yourself on the back. Now I'm going to go two days. I'm going to find out what I need to survive from myself and my family to survive for two days and you continue to expand from there and that's the way that it works because uh, even if all you can do if, if, if something if the end of the world came tomorrow if you at least had one day of preparation that's better than nothing right if you have one day uh, of water and food and everything else that that gives you that one day uh, to uh, to at least take care of that one day and be and give you a buffer to be able to sit down and think about uh, what your plan of action is going to be. Uh, if you can expand that to two days, to three days, to a week, to a month, uh, if you're prepared to to be self-reliant for a month which really is not that hard to do, but if you're prepared to be reliant for a month, that is a good buffer. That is a really good buffer. Uh, And work yourself up from there. Regardless of what you think uh, may be uh, coming in the future, uh, it's almost guaranteed that there will be something. There always is. Now, now, we talked about this a little bit last week. We'll, we'll cover it again right now, and that is that logic tells us that, uh, and this can, this can uh, after taking some logic courses and some uh, theory courses and stuff, I've uh, found that you can, you can take almost any sentence and reduce it to a mathematical equation. Uh, but if logic tells us that if something cannot go on forever then very logical premise if something cannot go on forever then it will end <clears throat> the way that we are running the country right now cannot go on forever it it can't that means that the way that we are running the country right now is going to end that that is just that's the way that it is now how is it going to end is it going to end all at once is it all going to shut down at once and uh, there's going to be some type of uh, of complete cessation of services no government no law no power no water uh, no uh, police services anything like that uh, it's not likely it's really not very likely. Uh, 
it's just that's not the way it is. Even without uh, a federal or state government, you still have a lot of other uh, steps on the ladder as you go down. You've got your your county governments and your city governments. You've got your neighborhood. So it's not likely that every single thing is going to fail bottom and you end up with complete lawlessness. Uh, I think that what uh, I think that it's going to be uh, a little bit more complicated than a complete shutdown. Uh, I feel like what it is right now is we have we have a uh, a nation that is like uh, that's like a human who is experiencing some type of uh, of AIDS virus, and that's where the the disease itself is not killing the person, but it's the things that the disease is making uh, the the person or the nation susceptible to, right? <clears throat> Whenever you have a uh, uh, a disease that attacks the uh, uh, the immune system, what it does is it allows uh, other things to to make you ill. Uh, the, co- the colds and flus and uh, and tuberculosis and uh, uh, all different types of things like that allow them to attack you and do their dirty uh, work on you. And that's how I see our nation right now is that it is it's, it's in a terrible position where its immunology is being attacked and now we're susceptible to, uh, to a myriad of other diseases they can now uh, safely plant themselves in the in the nation and attack it and infect it. We're going to have to, and I don't know how to, what the answers are, how to do this, but we're going to have to figure out some way to boost the nation's immune system. Uh, and right now, the 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 things that our nation is going through are, are uh, it's a this is a very confusing time uh, a very dangerous time but a very confusing time because you have so much that is going on that the that the government the current administration and the last administrations and probably the future administrations that are doing that are so corrupt. They go so against the Constitution. You have so many things going on that it's hard to identify one single scandal, disaster, uh, and to try and figure out what to do to fix it. Right now, we've got uh, we've got a long list of scandals and problems going on with the government, and there are so many uh, that we are flooded with this information in, in an information overload situation. We're flooded with so much information about things that the government has or has not done. And a lot of the stuff, it's very hard to tell uh, what is going on, especially stuff, the, the stuff that's going on with our foreign policy. 
the events that that unfolded recently uh, in Benghazi. <clears throat> Apparently, uh, that situation is very complex, and nobody wants to uh, to dig down into it because I think that everybody involved with it are dirty, and nobody wants the real information to come out because it's going to uh, it's going to implicate everyone involved. Uh, with the the improper things that we're doing and that we continue to do because we've got uh, uh, reports coming in of uh, of uh, Americans training the uh, uh, the Syrians in their war uh, we we're, we're we're dabbling in a bunch of stuff that uh, that I'm seriously, uh, I'm afraid is all going to come back uh, and bite us and burn us. Uh, we're really, uh, we're really making things, we're making more problems, not just for us, but for everyone, uh, for everyone who is involved with us, all the other nations uh, that are involved with us. We're making problems for our nation and everyone else. The uh, the the recent stuff with uh, the IRS uh, that apparently is is continuing to uh, to spin on with the thousands of emails lost uh, that uh, that could. Uh, it could implicate the current administration uh, in criminal activities. We have uh, the woman who's in charge uh, of the of the IRS section that's involved. The uh, uh, Mrs. Learners. We have her emails disappearing. We have her uh, Lois Learners uh, computer hard drive crashing so that the information can't come off of it. We have her answer to it, which is, well, you know, sometimes things just happen. The things that are going on with this particular situation uh, are no different than the uh, the events caused uh, uh, that caused Nixon uh, to face impeachment. Uh, the exact same things, uh, but but just on a larger scale. Uh, and the reason I'm bringing this up is that does does one one administration doing something dirty uh, to their political opponents does that affect uh, whether we're going to uh, survive or not uh, through some natural disaster or man-made disaster? <laughs> Not really, not not directly, but here's what it does: is uh, it keeps the government from doing its business, which is to serve the people. It keeps uh, the the continuous continued scandals, the disregard for the rule of law by the government, uh, just continues to show us. How far they they have strayed from their actual jobs uh, it shows us how far they have 
what a great gulf they have created between themselves and the American public. Uh, the the folks in Washington, uh, they they can no longer represent us uh, realistically. They don't live like we do. They don't obey the same laws. They they make laws that they exempt themselves from. They 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 no longer live in the same world under the same constitution that we do. So they can't effectively represent us because they don't even know who we are. The only thing that they know is who they are. Uh, and I'm not even sure that they know that all the time. The only thing they care about is ensuring that they that they protect and continue to grow their power. Uh, this does nothing good for us. This does nothing good for the rest of the the rest of the nation. We have uh, right now a, an absolute disaster with the the current immigration crisis. Uh, that is the the tens of thousands. Uh, now, not just of adults, but now the tens of thousands of children uh, that are being dumped across the border uh, into America every single day. Uh, every single week, we have tens of thousands of illegal immigrants uh, entering the United States uh, through the southern borders. Uh, so much so that the Border Patrol agents can no longer, they can't do their jobs anymore. Uh, providing security, making sure that uh, that persons of interest, uh, etc., that those guys uh, don't cross the border. They can't do that because they're they're too busy now with just babysitting. Uh, we have tens of thousands of illegal immigrants coming every week, and right now we have thousands and thousands of children. Uh, coming across the border. Now, we know that this is a very serious issue for Americans and American voters. Uh, just recently, we had uh, Mr. Cantor, uh, because of his uh, his decision to not pay attention to this issue, uh, he's one of the most powerful folks there in Washington. Uh, he got stripped of his duties by uh, the Tea Party. Uh, they were tired of the way Gratian was being run. It doesn't look like that anything seriously is going to be done about it. So what are, what are, how are we going to fix this? Tens of thousands uh, of individuals every week coming into the United States. <clears throat> now there's a movement afoot now uh, to grant the illegal immigrants uh, and I even hate to say illegal immigrants, uh, the illegal aliens, <clears throat> to grant them the same rights as American citizens. Uh, the first, the first wedge of this has already come through uh, in a recent bill, uh, uh, and uh, I doubt it's going to pass, but the legislation is going to give uh, illegal immigrants the right to vote, uh, establishes kind of a, a citizenship tier on a state level, 
It's going to give them uh, the ability to apply for tuition assistance, health insurance, uh, drivers and professional license, along with a great deal of other benefits. Now, the chance of this law, that the current law that's, that's been considered passing, is, is pretty slim. But that doesn't mean that this is just the first round. That doesn't mean that it's not going to, they're not going to keep pushing it. Uh, the problems that we're facing are are tremendous, and there are so many of them right now. It's hard to get a grip on even just one and figure out what is going on. We've got uh, plenty of reports about the government using uh, the global warming as another uh, scheme to push through taxes uh, on citizens, not just us, but around the world. But uh, I would ask you to uh, to Google uh, Professor Plimer, P-L-I-M-E-R, find out what his uh, recent report has to say about this, because uh, in his report he's talking about uh, about the fact that this year uh, that the fires, the brush fires, the forest fires and stuff that uh, uh, that are going to run this last this this coming year uh, are going to amount to uh, two to three years of uh, of carbon emissions uh, that we would that the that the cities and everything else would normally put out, and this happens every year. So how are you going to how are you going to deal with that? Uh, there are a great deal of things that we're facing, and I don't know that uh, I don't know that anything will get fixed before before something happens. My comment to you uh, as far as as what you can do is what I said earlier. Let's begin this week with your plan of preparing to try and become as self-reliant as possible. This year, that is your immediate-term goal. Uh, making sure that you start off with making sure that you can uh, that you can safely pass one day, and then keep uh, moving that up. And then long-term, uh, try and get as much information as you can about the events about the events that are occurring across our nation. And then try and plug yourself in wherever you think best, wherever you think that you'll fit best as part of the solution. This is the responsibility of every American citizen. Uh, There's not some other person that can do it. Uh, Not your mother, not your father, your brother, your sister, the mailman, a lawyer. Uh, The responsibility for safeguarding the right and freedoms that that we... uh, Enjoy by virtue of living in this nation falls squarely on your head. All right, figure out some place to to plug yourself in and start working on on doing your part of trying to uh, of trying to fix what we can of this. All right, guys, uh, I want to thank you uh, for listening. Uh, either next week or the week after, I think we're going to have uh, a, a fellow named, uh, you know, his internet name is Spark31. Uh, he does uh, communication uh, instruction. 
and he's going to come on the radio and talk to you about developing a plan for communications so that uh, in the event that uh, say the grid went down and uh, and you can no longer use telephones or landlines or stuff like that, that you can still figure out a way that you can keep uh, in communication, at least locally, uh, if not uh, throughout your county or your state or even nationally. All right? Uh, until then, uh, take care. God bless and keep you all, and uh, we'll see you uh, in a week. That's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.